Hello, and welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a great deal of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am, as always, your humble correspondent and host. My name is John Steinberg, joined by my estimable co-host, who goes by the name of Santino Maoni. Happy to be here with you guys today. Yes, we are back with yet another great episode of Visionaries. We are going to start off, as we always do, with our little segment, Words to Live By. So I chose the quote for this week's episode, and the quote I chose was um, spoken by Marie Forleo. And the quote is as such, not having the best situation, but seeing the best in your situation is the key to happiness. So John, what is this quote invoking you? What is it? Well, what emotions does it bring out in you? And how do you feel about the quote in general? You ever seen the movie Swingers? I have not. Okay. So there's a scene in that film where Ron Livingston is trying to comfort John Favreau. And he goes, you only look at the stuff that you don't have. You need to look at the stuff that you do have. That's what I think about when I contemplate this quote. What can we achieve? What do we have the capacity to be able to accomplish in our lives? I can't fly an airplane, just a fact. Uh, I don't think I could operate uh, a semiconductor. These are practical facts, but there are a lot of things that I do have the capacity to perform and execute at the highest levels. So there's this tendency, I think, a lot of times, and I remember feeling this way a great deal when I was younger, you focus on, oh, I'm not going to Harvard. I'm not in an Ivy League school. Uh, my book isn't published yet, blah, 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 blah. These things that you don't have where what you should be doing is thinking, wow, I live in a peaceful time in history. I exist. I am relatively healthy. Yeah. And I'm surrounded by friends and family. So what on earth I complaining about? Yeah, I, I'm going to relate this some back to my life because I am a person I like to, I like to refer to myself as sometimes a realist because my friends will call me say, like, Oh, well, you're pessimistic. You look at all the negatives. And the way I try to explain it away a lot of the time is say, well, I'm a realist. I look at, you know, I, I view things in, re- in reality, how they are, whatever. And the more I look at certain instances, when I explain myself like that, I sound like an idiot sometimes because all I'll do before saying that is just constantly go, oh, look at the bad over here. Like, whatever situation we're in, I go, oh, this is terrible. This is bad, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff about just negativity, not looking at the positives in my situation. And not just seeing what, rather than focusing on what's good in my situation, what I can control, focusing on what I can't control, what I don't have, all this stuff. And I feel like that is the tendency of people in general just to do because we want what we don't have, what we can't have. That's a a natural human tendency to want things. So I relate this back to my life because as I've gotten older, I think it's more of like something that people do when they're younger and like teenagers as a kid, that they've got something they tend to do. And even people older there, I know plenty of adults that like are in my life, like, you know, family members, friends of family, mem- family members that I know. And what happens is, is they'll just, again, like they said, they focus on the negatives. They don't focus on the positives at all. They don't focus on what they can control in any situation. I do the same thing as I've gotten older though. I'm 20, I'm 20 now. So as I've gotten older, 
I've gotten a little better at not, you know, being so, as my friends want to say, cynical, pessimistic, focusing on the negatives, all that kind of stuff. But it's very, very difficult. That's what I think about with the quote as well, though. It's hard to really, really just sit there and look at this and you know, you know what? Look at everything I have. I appreciate all of this. That's almost more difficult to do than just to look at everything and go, oh, well, you know, my, my cab was late this morning. I didn't get on time to work. And then every, like, and let, letting that kind of stuff ruin your day, if that makes sense. It's so much easier to focus on that. And people t- tend to do it so much more often rather than go, you know what? Damn, I have all of this stuff. I have all these people in my life, everything I've accomplished rather than focusing on all of that. No, they want to focus on the negatives like I've done in my life, but it's important to kind of drift away from that and focus more on, you know what? I can control this, um, not focus on like things maybe that, are, that you see as unfair, just control what you can control, focus on the positives as you go through life day, day to day. Yeah. I mean, there are entire industries in this world, in this country that exist on the idea that you want this, you want this, right? Well, you can't have this unless you pay for it, unless you pay for it. Yeah. And whether it's, you want to look like Margot Robbie, Jessica Alba, you want to look like Bradley Cooper, or you want the new LeBron James tennis shoes, you want X amount of, you want to live in Bel Air, you want to live in Beverly Hills. Well, why are you, predicating your life around what you don't have and what is pretty unrealistic to aspire to appreciate what you have Looking appreciate like Robbie that, that made me laugh inside huh. I was like it's just like how people will think like you know what? I have like Margot Robbie or else I feel like my life like it, right just like that's what they focus on but yeah you continue with what you were saying and, and 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 it's easy to get sucked into that yeah. with the popularity of social media Mm -hmm. and how images are presented to folks on a daily basis. You're barraged with these images of people leading what you're led to believe are their best lives and they're posting their pictures of their travels and the great things that they're up to and look at my relationship and my pet and my vacation and it's all envy, envy, envy. And that is not the key to happiness definitely not so yeah that's what i gather with with this uh maybe 15 word quote oh yeah i I feel i feel like we had kind of a similar viewpoint on the quote itself but we'll move on to our next segment handprints hall of fame as always and like john always Mm -hmm. likes to say imagine you know the again we're gonna reveal the inductee in a second but imagine um being outside of you know now it's i believe tcl yes but grauman's chinese theater um, oh yeah, imagine you're outside and these people are putting their hands down, um, you know, not in the dirt, but like on the sidewalk and they are cementing them. They are being cemented forever in, again, Handprints Hall of Fame. So the person we are inducting today, Andrea Bocelli. John, well, tell us a little bit about him, you know, what, 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 his, what he's done in his career and why you think, honestly, we chose for him to be inducted into our Handprints Hall of Fame. So you know how Morgan Freeman does a disproportionate amount of voiceover work for commercials because Mm -hmm. he just has one of these voices that sound like it has been bestowed from above. It has this larger than life power to it. And you would ideally like, hey, Morgan, could you just narrate all commercials? Like you'll be all time commercial narrator. Andrea Bocelli is who? we are enshrining today yeah and in many ways 
you could apply that same mode of thinking to Mr. Bocelli as being, can you just sing every song? (laughs) Can you give us your version of every song, be it Be My Baby by the Ronettes or... Just any song. Any can, just, song. can we just have your voice be yes. the over like the universe, the universal voice for all music? Like that that kind of thing. I get what you're saying. That yeah. Is, yeah. So this gentleman who uh not born blind, but developed uh vision difficulties in his youth, uh actually originally trained <clears throat> to be a lawyer. And think about what we as a species would have been deprived of had Andrea Bocelli devoted his working life to the law yeah. as opposed to music. And his, and his parents wanted him to become a lawyer and he actually, he did become a court, a court appointed lawyer. So he did like achieve what his parents wanted, but thank God he went the other route, obviously, like you said. That's right. Yeah. So one of the most angelic voices of all time, you could make a reasonable argument that he is number one for like the greatest voices of all time. I feel like a lot of people would not dispute it, honestly. Uh So whether it inspires imitation from Will Ferrell in Step Brothers, or we see it in the background of a Mazda commercial, Andrea Bocelli's voice is a great uniter and personifies the idea of doing the most with the least. So as I referenced at the beginning of the episode, can't fly a plane, can't work uh, a semi, probably shouldn't be doing construction on uh, the 110. However, in the case of Andrea Bocelli, you can literally be the voice of a planet if you indeed sound like Mr. Bocelli. And it is with his tremendous vocal stylings in mind that we choose to enshrine Andrea Bocelli as this week's entrant into the Handprints Hall of Fame. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, just to give a little background, obviously, you know, again, he was visually impaired, like you mentioned, from birth, but he didn't, he was not born, you know, he was not born blind. He went blind at the age of 12. It was, I believe, like a soccer injury that he, uh, that he uh, suffered from. And that's kind of what caused him to go blind. And but he had been taking piano lessons since he was six years old. So his love of music and his just passion towards music had started, you know, six years prior to that incident. So he already had the love of music within him. And, you know, being become or when he became blind, that didn't stop him at all from still pursuing what he wanted to pursue, which was music. And again, like you said, thank God he did, because this man's voice, again, one of the most powerful, most iconic, most recognizable voices you could hear in, in, in the world of music. And, you know, he experienced success in the 1970s when I, I forget exactly what it was, but he participated in a singing competition and that was kind of his entry into the, into the world of music. And that's like kind of what just kickstarted his career in a way. And then, you know, going on to just albums, he, uh, he released 1994, he released his first album in Italy, I believe it was called Mare Cali della Sera. So it was, um, that was like the first album he released. And again, since then, career took off. The man- 2020 he, Grammys, I believe. I think it was more than that. I'm, I'm going to look it up right now, now that you mentioned it. But even just the, the everything that this man was able to do with his powerful voice, with just, again, just being able to serenade so many people and make so many people 
feel almost just like welcomed and calm by the, not even like calm, but just when you hear his voice, you know, it's him. Like you alluded to Morgan Freeman, you hear Morgan Freeman's voice, you know, it's Morgan Freeman and his voice is, is iconic voice thing, vo doing voiceovers from for different movies being like almost like a narrator like you said if he would do a lot like commercials like can you just do every single commercial like just have your voice be the voice of commercials that is what andrea bocelli his voice personifies and this is neither here nor there but uh my father a recent guest on visionaries and my brother actually spent some time with Andrea Bocelli uh, at a concert, I believe backstage at the Hollywood Bowl. Wow. And they said he was a tremendous guy. So yes. neither here nor there, but I was told uh, on good authority, being that it's my dad and my brother, <laughs> yeah. that he was a really awesome guy. You were on the nose there. It was 20 Grammy. So he has won 20 of those, which is unbelievable. Again, the accomplishments this man's had in his career while having to deal with that obstacle, not, not just from birth, but having to deal with that at such a young age, especially as well. And then being able to overcome that obstacle, unbelievable that he was able to do that. And again, so much credit to that man. And this is why, like we always want to say, we are enshrining him in our Hamperts Hall of Fame. He is kneeling down in front of the Chinese theater, putting his hands in the sidewalk cement, whatever you want to say, and forever enshrining himself in our Hall of Fame. We'll move on to our next segment, Profiles and Courage, where actually we're going to be interviewing John's new wife, Lisa Steinberg. <laughs> we have her here today, um, and you know we're going to get to ask some questions about her experiences with John and just get, get to have her here after their, their amazing special moment they had uh, this past weekend. Lisa, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa, for being here. So, John, I'll let you kick this off, ask whatever questions you want, introduce your lovely wife. Okay. Hi, Mrs. Steinberg. Hi, Mr. Steinberg. It still feels interesting, a little bit weird to say. It does. But uh, we are making it as normal as we can. So our marriage was, uh, it was this weekend, and it got me thinking, got me in a reflective mood. I went to the Malibu Hindu temple the morning of our wedding just to kind of contemplate the course and tenor of our relationship. So from your perspective, what's it like being with a visually impaired partner? It's no different from anything else. We just make adjustments. So John and I have our own language. We have our own uh, little routines and little things. Um, and so our whole relationship has been about learning about each other. I am a total type A personality. He had to adjust to that. Um, and so... I think it makes our experiences and our adventures that much more special. Um, I take it in more. I, you know, it's a lot of me describing what's around us and um, vice versa, how he sees because his senses, the other senses are heightened to a whole bionic level, right? So it's a lot of learning, um, a lot of adjustment, a lot of communication and transparency in our relationship. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and that, that, that's great though, just to hear the, like, to hear how, again, both of you had to make adjustments both ways and that it, it, it worked out for the better. So obviously, first off, congrats on the wedding to both of you. Um, for my first question, you know, you've been with John for now, but what, three years about. So I was just wondering, I mean, you touched on a little bit there, but in some specific ways, how has your life kind of changed after you, after you met John? So I'll take that two ways um, from a living together perspective. Um, just as a general partner, a lot of the times um, 
again, communication is so important for us. Um, little things like, I remember when he lived in an apartment, we weren't living together and he would, you know, clean before I came over for the weekend. And then he would hear me cleaning again. And it was, it was something where I was just doing it um, because maybe he missed a spot. And instead of me telling him, um, you know, how it was, he got offended that he didn't do it right. So, right. So it's just partner things like that. And then it was kind of like, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. Yeah, it's just yeah. kind of like, you know, do that. Um, John, as you guys have seen in the first few episodes of this podcast, he is adventurous. He does it on his own. He does not need anybody. We complement each other and we make each other's lives better. For me, I've lived in Los Angeles all my life. I'm going to be 39 in uh, July. I have seen more of Los Angeles, experienced more of Los Angeles and outside. It's just COVID kind of kept us here. Yeah. But he just, he has shown me a whole different side of Los Angeles from a culinary perspective, um, history perspective. I am not a historical buff. Um, entertainment, movies, sports, everything. So I feel like I'm a much more well-rounded person and I learn so much from him every single day. Yeah, the, the culinary aspect, I can definitely, he's, ta he's, ta he's taking me to a few spots yeah. after we record and stuff like that. So I've definitely gotten to experience like a, a snippet of that for how much he knows about all that, that whole world. But yeah, def definitely it's great that you guys have been able to compliment each other like that. Yeah. But let me ask, sure. Mrs. Steinberg, um, when others, friends of yours, colleagues, just people that you know, mm -hmm. found out that you were with somebody with a visual impairment. What is what was that like? And explaining that to them, or even when we go out in public, um, the reactions of others and, and how kind of you deal with that. Sure. So in the beginning of our relationship, uh, there has never been anybody in my immediate circle or my family who's had a visual impairment. So a lot of it was, are you sure this is something like this seems like it's going somewhere. If you're going to be forever, how are you going to deal with that? Um, when you think about having kids or, you know, having a home, it's, is it going to be how, to what extent can he help you with day-to-day -day stuff? Right. And of course, in the beginning of a relationship, you think about that stuff. And as a relationship developed, it's, Again, as long as I can communicate to you and not be afraid of saying it so it hurts your feelings or anything like that, and you can be honest with me, we can make anything work. So I don't worry about that at this point in our relationship. But when we're out in public, I will get a lot of uh, smiles um, just or nods just because they see our relationship. If you see John and I, you know we have, we just have our own vibe. We don't. <laughs> It doesn't go, it's not awkward, it's not forced, um, it's not anything like that. We kind of have our thing now, and it took time to develop, but it kind of came really effortlessly, I think, for us. Um, I will share the story because even to this day, three years later, um, it pulls at my heartstrings. When we were first dating, John took me to Maud, Curtis Stone's restaurant um, out here, and it was set two months into dating and I remember that there was a table next to us um, that had walked in after us and didn't know that he was visually impaired and it was super dark and he had to use his hands and in Spanish they this lady was just making a big ruckus about why you know he was using his hands and it took everything in me not to speak up 
Um, again, that was early in our relationship. So I didn't feel like I had the voice because I didn't know what, I didn't want to create a scene. Now, as his fiance, as his now wife, I proudly would stand up to anybody that says anything. Um, he is the most amazing person and anybody, whether visually impaired or not, it's just, you just have to be conscious socially of what's going on around you. And had I said something, it could have created something, but those are the kind of the things that I was kind of expecting. And it only happened one time in our relationship. Um, other than that, it's been very heartwarming. I've heard other episodes where people are usually very helpful. Um, they're compassionate and there are good people out there. They do still exist. Definitely. Um, I was curious just, you know, to get your perspective, John on the past episodes has talked about how there are times like where we'll be standing at a crosswalk waiting to cross the street. And, you know, he'll say like, somebody will like circle him almost and like, be like, wait, like, is he actually blind? Is he not? Like, and then like, they'll stop. And John's like, hello, like, I, I can hear you. Like, I can, I know you're there, that kind of thing. Have you been there to experience any of that? And what would you say, I guess, to those people and who, who kind of will almost in, again, in my immense confusion, perceive or think that he's faking it somehow? Like, what would you say to those people? Or have you been there to experience any of those instances? I have seen a couple of experiences where I've been with him. Um, however, the people that usually do say those things are not all there. So they're either under some kind of substance or, you know, there's some um, mental health issues or things like that. Um, I do sometimes in the same looks that I get smiles, I do sometimes get like a kind of like a head turn, mm -hmm. um, kind of like, I think it has to do with like how he, how his age it's like people associate those kinds of things with people that are older. And so when they see him, they might kind of like, oh, I, you know, they're kind of a young couple or, you know, I do see kind of the head turns, yeah. um, but never actually has anybody said anything that wasn't, um, you know, that visual or visibly under some kind of influence or something. Gotcha. Yeah. So before we even started really dating, because I'm going to talk about uh, what it was like for a blind person on uh, on Hinge sure. and in dating profiles in general. Um, when I first told you that I had a vision condition, what was kind of your feeling about the subject? I didn't know the extent of it when we first started talking. And I remember when we started talking, um, before we actually met, I sent you selfies thinking that you could still kind of see some of it. So I didn't know the extent. I actually thought it was kind of like a partial where he could still kind of see and it was kind of deteriorating slowly. Um, when we first met, I kind of saw it where I had to guide, you know, kind of guide him and not leave him. But I've always been that kind of person that just kind of sees past that. I'm about the connection mentally, emotionally, everything else. Um, but I remember um, our first date is when I actually noticed when I saw you feeling for the, for your beverage. And I thought, oh, this is, this is a lot more, um, you know, um, how do I say? Serious. Yes. Then, then it really is. Uh, than I thought it was, I should I say. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and honestly, like, I, I kind of could my thought process when I, when I, when I'm hearing these stories about like the two of you, it's almost like I almost commend not just you, but John as well for being able to, again, make that adjustment of the communication to be able to 
both of you having to make such a huge adjustment in your lives in so many different ways. And if you be able to make that work is incredible. But my, my last question that I have for anybody that's like you, maybe in a, a relationship with somebody who's visually impaired, maybe a family, like somebody trying to take care of another family member who's visually impaired, what advice do you have for those people and how to kind of take care of them, how to, you know, be, be around them and just how, how to interact with them in general? What advice do you have for those people? Sure. So a lot, again, I'm going to go back to the communication and transparency. Very, very huge in our relationship. Um, the other thing too, that John has taught me and let it be known before me, I'm a little old school. So we live together now. I, I do laundry. I do wash the dishes, things like that. He was completely sufficient before me. He lived on his own, did his own laundry, cleaned the, his own apartment. He did not need me. He's completely independent. He had his routine. I have my routine. And so blending those takes a lot of learning, um, a lot of trial and error, a lot of dry runs, as we like to use also <laughs> yeah. in our relationship. Um, but key is um, true communication. The other thing that John has taught me is to be completely present in the moment. Um, so I try a lot of my screen time is there's, it's still there. I'm, I'm working on it, but when I come home, his phone goes on, do not disturb. He is present with me. When we go on our adventures, it's about being in the moment and remembering it and capturing it together in our memory. Um, because we shouldn't rely on our phones. We shouldn't be on our phones all the time. We should really take it in because we miss a lot of things that way. So if anything, being with somebody that is visually impaired or any other disability, be present, communicate, talk, take it in. And uh, it's, yeah, it's beautiful. Before John goes, what you said about the being in like, even just the, the communication in general for the listeners, that's for any relationship, mm -hmm. not even, and that's not specific for whether somebody is visually impaired, whether they're not, whether they have a disability, whether they don't, any of that. Communication is an, an essential thing for any relationship. Mm -hmm. So what Lisa's saying can apply to, again, anybody who's listening, that can apply to anybody. And I do like the, like, you know, kind of um relate to the whole phone thing of like having to down the screen time because i as a 20 year old now newly 20 year old with how much sports i watch with how much like i'm invested in social media and doing all that kind of stuff i am always like okay on the phone like i'm always on my phone so i like almost admire that that he's been able to help you and you've been able to make that transition of like all right you know what let's put that away john like john is always able to just kind of put that to the side that kind of thing so that's really awesome to know to hear that but john you can go yeah uh and our union has also led to the creation of another podcast that I will allow my dear, beautiful wife to plug before she has to leave. Sure. So uh, about a year ago, or just about a year in, we uh, released a weekly Thursday podcast called Living in the Sprawl, Southern California's most adventurous podcast. Um, John here is also the host of that one. His mind is incredible. He does that podcast and this one without any notes it's yeah. really mind-blowing um that podcast takes you a little bit more into adventuring into southern california so sports true crime food movies culture entertainment everything but um it complements this podcast very well so listen to both um because they're both great yeah and like lisa said john does I, like, I'll need notes during the show. I'll be honest with you guys. John somehow keeps it all just up in his noggin. I don't know how he does it, but he, he manages to retain all of it. So that's, you know, again, pretty good on John. Thank you, Lisa, so much for coming on the show. That was 
awesome to just have you here, especially after that special moment and special day that you and John got to share together. You guys are officially married. It was kind of cool to hear, you know, referring to you as Lisa Steinberg is official now. So that's wild. That is wild. I know that was great. We'll move on to our next segment, as always, respect and representation in the media. And we're going to be talking about John picked the uh, the two movies we're going to be discussing today. So John, what are the movies you chose? So a bit of a franchise here. We're going to take a sojourn into the world of horror, the scarier side of cinema, as we focus on Don't Breathe and its inevitable sequel, Don't Breathe 2. Um, so yeah, these were my choices. Uh, what, did, what did you think? Of, I'm interested to hear kind of you break down your experience with with the franchise yeah so obviously there are three characters named rocky alex and money and they are you know three detroit or they they live in detroit so they're three thieves that um decide to go um rob a blind man who and there's i remember you brought this up to me before we started recording the scene where they like one of the kids one of the uh, characters looks at the other one goes you know this guy like blind right and then he goes yeah that's messed up to, to, yeah. to know that he is and then go, you know what? Screw him. We're going to go in there anyway. At that point, it's like, yeah, I want these characters to get, you know, to get messed up. They, they, they don't, I want, I don't want them to succeed. I don't want it to go well for them. Never could I have imagined how wrong it would go for them, especially because, you know, the man, uh, Norman Nordstrom, who is blind, he's a, he's a former veteran, former veteran. He's a veteran. So, you know, he, he's got his own agenda going oh, on inside the house he's got, his, he's got his own agenda but he's also they paint him out to be like a monster I mean, not maybe yes. necessarily in the beginning of the movie but as the movie continues to go along man this guy's like he's pretty hardcore if you i mean if you want to use that term but yeah i thought and again i know it's not realistic how he always like you always like make that now not analogy but comparison of like well i can't fly a plane it really wouldn't be smart for me to operate construction machinery that kind of thing but even this it was not very realistic to think okay a blind veteran would be able to, uh, you know, ward off these thieves and essentially thwart their entire plan. It was cool to see, but it was almost more of like this kind of like superhero guy, like a daredevil kind of thing where it's like not very realistic, especially if there's like younger kids watching this movie. And I mean, listen, I wouldn't necessarily advise younger kids watch the movie, but because it's a horror movie, it's very, very uh, over the top. But if anyone is watching this movie and they think, oh, well, blind people can do that. I don't know. I mean, like for an outsider perspective, again, like just I don't think it was very realistic. It was cool to see, but real reality-wise, not very realistic. Yeah, I mean, as just like two horror flicks. I mean, sure, they're fine, and mm-hmm. hey, it's a reason uh, to go to the multiplex. One of my favorite things to do in life. But this whole narrative concerning. <clears throat> person with disability as extraordinary in some wildly unrealistic way is it's not great let's apply this um to the deaf community okay so if somebody were trying to break into a home and the whole thing were based around oh well they're not going to hear us coming but they have this crazy crazy sense of smell so they can smell everything within a two mile radius. That's number one, pretty silly. And I know it's a horror movie. I know it's a horror movie, okay? Uh, Yet, 
I don't love the idea of imbuing disabled characters with quote unquote magical properties. Magical in the case of don't breathe, meaning evil, meaning just a real, like you said, Santino, a real monstrous sort of gentleman, yeah. this Norman Nordstrom. Is that Nordstrom? Yeah, Nordstrom, Norman Nordstrom, yep, yeah. Very, very, uh, very solid name very, there. A, a little ration name kind of thing. But yeah, I, I agree with you, though. It's like they paint him, again, like we said, they paint him as a monster. And it's just, and even in, in both movies, they do, despite the fact that the plots are, are slightly different in the two movies. But overall, I agree with you that they're, you know, they're horror movies. They're not like meant to be these, this like, you know, cinematic, you know, Wonderland. And it's like, oh my God, these could win Oscars, that kind of thing. But at the same time, it is very, very interesting and not exactly, I wouldn't call it the best way to go about it. You utilizing blindness in that way to make him out to be this, again, superhero villain kind of person that is doing something that a lot, pretty much, I mean, you can attest to it better than I can, obviously, but, mo but most blind people probably wouldn't be able to do what he did in the movie. Don't breathe, because he can hear you breathing, and if he hears you, he's going to get you. Yeah, like, I, I, I get it. it. It makes sense on a super surface level mm -hmm. rendering and interpretation. Uh, however, I'm not one to scold. And I'm not one to cast dispersions on, you're allowed to do this, you're not allowed to do this. But to the uninitiated, to people that have not had experience around the visually impaired, they see this movie and they find themselves walking the streets of downtown Los Angeles or another area and they happen to amble by a blind veteran. Well, the uninitiated, those that have just seen Don't Breathe and its sequel might think to themselves, oh no, oh no, this guy might come out and get me. Seri is, seriously, which is preposterous not and true. should not be uh, a concern. And yet, what am I gonna tell you? I feel like a little bit it is. I encounter people every single day that have just no idea. They hear the sound of my king coming and it's like, Oh no, ah, and they're completely frazzled and oh no, is he gonna run into me and what do I do, what do I do, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. So for those that really don't have experience with the visually impaired community or an education with that community, this is not great content. This, uh, the movie can be misleading in a way. Like, yeah. yeah, yes, it can. Don't breathe, he's gonna get you. Yeah, exactly. S Stephen Lang, uh, who we know from Avatar is being... I believe he's got like frosted white hair as the general as the grizzled uh general in Avatar and I'm sure in subsequent sequels. So he is cast in the role as the monstrous visually impaired individual here. And these horror movies get green lit because they don't cost a lot of money. You throw three million dollars, I mean that's this is all in relative terms, but you throw $3 million at a production, you turn that three into 20, guess what? You're getting Don't Breathe 2 because Don't Breathe 1 made like $85 million domestically and over 150 globally. So this monstrous blind character is someone 
that's being exposed to an international audience. And the same concern I would raise for our international brethren, mm -hmm. as well as our domestic, where if you didn't know any better and you believed that the things that are presented in this movie are possible, then yeah, it's conceivable that if you found yourself around a blind person, you might wonder, wow, are they gonna be like that horrible monstrous gentleman from the Don't Breathe franchise? And Santino and I can assure you, no, they're not gonna be like that. Definitely, that was a great way to close that segment out. We'll move on to our final segment of the episode where John is going to, you know, tell us a little bit about a little bit of story about his life, connecting the dots where again, he'll regale us with a story about his life, his personal experiences. John, what are you going to be telling us about today? So with my recent, and by recent, I mean, a handful of days, yeah. marriage now in the books, uh, I look at how I met my lovely wife in the first place and how others who are suffering from disabilities might meet their prospective partners also. Uh, I was turned on to the idea of online dating by my best man and his brother. I had never heard of Hinge. And honestly, I was terrified the whole time that, oh no, like, I, I don't know what picture to select. I don't really have a relationship with pictures anymore. Mm -hmm. I have yeah. no idea how to represent myself visually here. Uh, so it was with my best man's brother that we kind of went through some old photo albums, selected a presentable picture, and I was educated on the perils uh, of online dating. So we set up this profile on Hinge and... I goes without saying that while swiping left or right, I wasn't doing it based upon the visual representation of a prospective partner. I was doing it based upon what was listed in their profile, the things that they were interested in, searching for commonalities, things that I was also interested in, those kinds of things, separating this idea of what I'm told exists on Tinder, where it's literally swipe left, swipe right, depending on whether you like the look of somebody. Well, that's not possible in the case of those that can't see. So you have to go about it in other ways. And as I mentioned, I was terrified that how am I going to break this to somebody? Do I slow play it? Do I just flat out tell them, hey, look, I have this condition called retinitis pigmentosa and it prevents me from driving a car so I can't pick you up, et cetera, et cetera. It had me going through all of these different scenarios as to what I might be asked, how I might answer. Because prior to this, I had engaged in relationships with people that I had in like college classes or that I had worked with or met through friends. I hadn't gone about it in this particular manner. So yeah, I was scared um, and honestly reticent to even engage with online dating in the first place. But as my best man said in his toast at my wedding, I told him I have love on the brain. 
And so they helped to set up this Hinge profile. And it was not a simple process. Um, and I remember one conversation in particular, it was somebody that I had matched with and we'd exchanged phone numbers and we'd been talking on the phone for like an hour and a half. And the person told me they had an 18 year old and they were my age. I'm like, okay, well, she must've had the kid when she was like 17. And she was obviously feeling about her son the way that I felt about my retinitis pigmentosa, um, my blindness. And it didn't matter to me. I didn't care that she had an 18 year old. I didn't look at that as a negative or anything. That, that's fine, cool. And then I said, okay, well, while we're on the subject of, you know, maybe some, some things that we should be upfront with one another about, and then I went on to tell her. And she actually, it kind of shocked me, uh, said, look, I, 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 I don't think it's gonna work. Um, I'm not sure what you're able to. And it was pretty clear that it wasn't gonna work because I have retinitis pigmentosa and can't see. So there are these types of situations that do crop up and it's important to steal yourself and prepare for denial. Um, this isn't just a disabled, a commentary from a disabled perspective. This is finding a partner period perspective. However, it is amplified when you're on these dating websites uh, so that, yeah, be aware that that is a possibility that it takes all kinds to make the world as my favorite author Flannery O'Connor once wrote. And a lot of times, as I've mentioned previously on the podcast, it's like a 75 to 25% ratio of 75% people are extremely helpful and are able to look past the disability and into the, the character and content of that character, but for like 25% of the population, uh, retinitis pigmentosa is a complete and utter deal breaker. But thankfully, I continued on with my search for an ideal partner. And it was through trial and error that I ultimately landed on the most wonderful person that I have in my life, who I am so fortunate to be able to call my wife. And I was a little bit scared at first that it was gonna go the way that the conversation I just referenced went, but thankfully, Elisa accepted me, uh, flaws and all, and we are now wed in matrimony. So for those who are a bit shy about online dating or worried, frankly worried that something like what I just described will happen, you can handle it. Steal yourself and just know that it will take a bit of time, trial and error, but if you are genuine enough and you really dedicate yourself to the process, you will find somebody really, really special out there if you're open and honest and looking for something meaningful. It is possible, take it from me. Yeah, that's very, very inspiring, especially because even people without like a, a disability that, that you have like yourself, dating is hard in general, whether you're doing it through like a website or just trying to ask a girl out, people getting rejected, that's hard enough on a lot of people overall. So especially when you throw something like blindness into the mix, it makes it just 
that much more complicated, like you alluded to uh, in your story. And again, the thing to take away from John's story is your rejection may happen. It's a part of life that, that that's something that's inevitable, but you can't let it get you down. There's going to be somebody out there for you and you will find somebody as John did. And I think, I mean, if you agree with me, that's really what one of the, one of the main points of this story was. Definitely. Definitely. And not to be intimidated by the process, although it is inherently intimidating and not to get discouraged, even though I know it's inherently discouraging, persevere, Keep your eyes on the prize. If you have love on the brain, the answer is out there for you. 100%. Definitely agree. That was a great way to close that segment out. That will end this episode of Visionaries. Thank you guys for listening so much. And if you want to give us a follow on Instagram at visionaries underscore podcast, the link to our Spotify is in our bio bio on our Instagram page. So you can listen to all our episodes there. Um, if you have any, you know, ideas, suggestions, comments, anything you want to say, just shoot us a DM again at visionaries underscore podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening and have a great week. Talk to you next time.